You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. So we've been in a series we launched last week called Keeping Score. And uh, what we started talking about how is this idea where in various places in our life and at various times in different relationships, we have a tendency to keep score when we are treated in a way that we don't feel lines up with the way that we should have been treated. And so we, we kind of dove into this idea that when we, when we keep score of the wrongs, or, or maybe even the absence of blessings that are done to us, we are the ones that will lose out. And so we, we said it in various places, right? In, in our relationship with our spouse, when we say, hey, can you please make sure that you pick up those dirty socks every single day and you're wearing them out, you're wearing them out, uh, and, and then they eventually pick up the socks, and then what they notice is over the next couple of weeks, you start leaving your socks in the middle of the floor. And what are they going to do? They're going to be ticked because they're like, hold on now, you just wore me out about picking up my socks, or, or maybe it's taking out the trash, or maybe it's doing the dishes, whatever it is in, in your relationship, there's things that your spouse has asked you to do, and, and maybe you've started to try to make an attempt to do with them, and as soon as you feel like you get a little bit better, they start doing those same things, and you feel slighted, right? Like you feel like they've, they've come against you. Or maybe it's that person, I gave the, the example of going out to eat with somebody at, at the office, and you get to the restaurant, and you go to pay, and they're only going to take one, one check. They're not splitting it up. And you're like, okay, well, I'll get the bill. And they're like, okay, well, I'll Venmo you. Three and a half weeks goes by, no money in the Venmo account. It hasn't come in. Like, you're sitting there going, okay, hold on. And then, but you see them bringing Starbucks in every day. You're like, you know they got the money, so wh- why isn't the money in my account now? And so you're like in this place of, should I approach them or should I? Like, I don't want to be that guy, but I want my $7.50. You know what I'm saying? And so in our life, we, we sometimes find these places where we're kind of keeping score because someone has done us wrong or, or, or we, we just feel slighted in some way. And so week one, we talked about this idea of forgiveness. And the key that unlocks forgiveness is understanding that Jesus gave us the ultimate forgiveness. And when, when we can have the right perspective of the forgiveness that we received in Christ as Christians then we can begin to kind of pass along that same forgiveness to those who have wronged us. And so in week two, we're, go- we're going to continue talking about keeping score, but maybe in a different way. We're going to talk about our idea of keeping score as far as it comes to generosity. And our bottom line for today is that we must lose count of what our right hand has given while holding open hands that freely give and receive from the blessings of God. Like, we, we have to stop kind of saying, well, I've done this, Lord, or a friend, or a person, and now I expect these things, where God says, well, no, no, give freely, and receive gifts freely. Live with a life of generosity. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of our sermon is, We Pour from the One Who Pours. We pour from the one who pours. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some in the back. We'd love to get you one. If you don't own one, that's a gift from us to you. Deuteronomy chapter 15, we're going to be diving into that text this morning. And as you're turning there, uh, I want to tell you a quick story. In 2015, 
Bill Gates, most of you in the room should know who that is, was interviewed on a Norwegian TV show called Skavlin. And he was asked the question, what is the most annoying myth about you? I mean, you're probably one of the most famous people in the world, certainly in the, the, the top wealthy people in the world. What is the most annoying myth about you? And I love his answer. He says this, a myth might be that I'm the most generous philanthropist of all time. But somebody who chooses to live in Africa and work in a hospital, they give money so they're giving up their vacation or, or maybe something they need. You know, I've not had to sacrifice. I haven't sacrificed my time or my economic well-being the same way that lots of unnamed amazing people do so. So they're really the world's best philanthropists. Now, I want you to keep a perspective of who is saying this. Bill Gates, in his lifetime, they are projecting that he's going to give away around $100 billion, with a B, dollars to various organizations in philanthropy causes, like to help nonprofits around the world, to make sure that people have medicine and food. He's going to give away over $100 billion. And here's Bill looking at the rest of the world on this TV show saying, you know, everyone thinks I'm this great philanthropist, but the reality is those who have had to sacrifice, those who have had to give something up, they are more generous than I could ever think about being. And so as we turn and gaze to what the Lord has for us in this text, kind of an obscure text if you think about it, for what generosity and giving is, we're going to look at this text in Deuteronomy 15 that talks about the sabbatical year. And this is the idea that on the seventh year, your land will rest. So for six years, you will work your land and you'll gain crops and food from it. But on the seventh year, as the people of God in Judaism, you would let your land rest. And this idea plays into our understanding of generosity. And if you're unfamiliar with what Sabbath and sabbatical is, we have a fantastic sermon series called Faith Goes to Work. We preached earlier this year. You can go on our website or our podcast and listen to that. But we're going to dive in and talk about generosity right here in Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. It says, At the end of every seven years you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release, that every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact of it his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. So right here on this seventh year of rest, what's happening is God is telling the people of God that if you have someone who owes you a debt, uh, someone who, who is of the Lord, who is his chosen people, then you are to kind of release that debt for one year. You, you need to let the, 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 the debt stay silent for one year because in this sabbatical year, everything rests. He, he talks about it in, in Exodus chapter 23, verse 10. It says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. And so here's this idea throughout Scripture right here that on the seventh year, God is going to command his, his people to, hey, stop doing all the work that you've kind of been doing and, and rest. Let the land rest and even yourself rest in me. So because of this temporary interruption in their normal sources of income, he then looks at the people of God and says, hey, you no longer have to pay 
the debt that you were owed for one year. Now, some theologians think that maybe it was wiped forever, but uh, most would believe that it's just a one-year pause. So if you owed somebody a great deal of money, and then the sabbatical year comes, or as they would call it, Shemitah comes, this is one-year break from that debt. So you no longer have to make interest-only payments or whatever. It, it stops. But then after that year, the, the, the payment process would be picked back up. And what's so interesting, I don't know if you're like me, but when I'm reading this text, I'm going, this is the most inefficient thing I've ever heard in my life, God. Like, this makes no sense. I hear you. Why are you doing this? And so I want to give you a little bit of background first. So you have Sabbath, which is a one day of rest. Uh, They would call it Shabbat. And then you have the sabbatical year, Shemitah. And this is really the, the idea that for six years we work the land, seven year is rest. Interestingly enough, we're actually going to enter Shemitah in September. The, the Jews will, will go to this place at the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. It will launch here in September, and it will be the year of Shemitah. And so this is not a principle as you read this. Sometimes we get in the Old Testament and go, oh yeah, that's Old Testament. Nobody's still doing this. There are still a great number of Jews who will observe this process. You can go online and Google, like, how do they live during Shemitah? And there's like hydroponic plants and ways they get around from growing on the land because they're using water and all these other resources. And so this isn't something that when we read, we need to go, ah, that doesn't really make any sense. We can just skip over that. No, this is something that people are still observing today. So, when you read into this principle, this is not a dead thing. It's still alive in many people's lives. So we'll continue on to make sure we get some context. Verse 3. So we've talked about in the first two verses, people of God no longer have a debt. In verse 3, of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. Now, you might say, well, that seems kind of unfair, but think about it. The foreigner isn't resting on the seventh year. They're still working their land, so they're still making money. And so they can still pay their debts. Their normal job continues, unlike where maybe the agrarian society of the Jews, they would have stopped on this seven year, and so they don't really have as much income. But then the next couple of verses right here are going to kind of show us the heart of God behind this law and behind why He implements this. Continue with me in verse 4. There will be no poor among you, For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and he shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. In essence, what God is saying right here is that when the people of God lean in and rely on to trust in God, He will make all things well. He will right all wrongs. And He says there will be no poor among you. Imagine for for just a second. Or maybe you don't even have to imagine. Maybe you can go back to a place in your life. And answer this question. Have you ever 
truly leaned on God? Have you ever truly leaned on God? If you have, I believe that you would have seen a great blessing. Maybe the blessing came in peace or joy or some sort of security. But it is an amazing moment. It is this freeing time when we as the people can lean and just trust on God rather than our situation or everything around us. Generosity begins by trusting God more than we trust our situation. This, this is what he's leading us to in this text. The generosity begins by trusting God more than we trust our situation. I read an article this week talking about this idea of Shemitah and this understanding of kind of what's going on in the sabbatical year and rest and economic standards. Because again, if you're looking at this, you're going, this makes no sense. Did you know that 95% of the produce that is eaten and, and, and consumed in Jerusalem is made locally? So think about the economic impact that this year is going to have on the people of God, right? That 95% of what they eat, fruits, vegetables, all the things, comes from right there. They're not importing it from anywhere else. This is their food, and yet they are saying in this moment, I'm going to trust God for what He provides rather than my situation and myself. And there's even moments when they look at the situation with the homeless and the poor, and they say, you know, for six years we have supported them by giving things out, by helping them, by giving them a hand up rather than a hand out. And now in this beautiful seventh year of Shemitah, what they're, they're looking at and they're kind of seeing and saying is that no longer are the people who are struggling getting handouts from the other people, but yet they're getting it directly from God in year seven. And so what they're kind of illustrating in, in this observance of this passage in, in Deuteronomy 15 and what God is trying to get you and I to lean into and to, and to focus on is that God isn't asking for me and you to figure everything out. He's asking us to be faithful. He's asking you to be faithful. In the middle of gas prices that are astronomical, He's asking you to be faithful. He's asking you to understand that He is in control of your situation. You can't control your situation. But we want to, right? I mean, let's just be honest. You want to control your situation. I want to control my situation. When I sit down, I, I want to look at a piece of paper that says one plus one equals two. And the workforce at, at home, I want to look and make sure that, hey, we're doing this because of that, and that's going to give us the result that we want. It's, this is what makes sense in our heads. When we make budgets and we analyze things, we go, hey, here is how the numbers line up. Here's how everything's going to work. Did you know that in 2021, 80% of people did budgets versus 2019, 69% of people did budgets. 
Now, you might be going there, I fall on the 20%. I hear you, right? I get it. Budget's no fun. Amy and I used to do a thing on Monday night because we hated it so much. We called it budgets and beers, right? We'd sit down, we'd have one beer, and we'd do the budget, and that would be how we'd get through it because the budget is awful. We don't like it. So it's just this is, this is the, the treat that we get for ourselves on Monday night that we get to sit down and talk about numbers, but we get to have a nice drink. So it's fun to do that. Because budgets are terrible. Nobody likes numbers. Well, some of you like numbers. You do it for a living. Praise God for you. But this idea of budgets and all of these things, it's, it's a way for us to kind of control the situations around us. It's a way for us to, to make sense of things. And making sense of things is good. But there comes a point when God calls us to be generous and we're sitting down to make our budgets. What are the first things that come out of our budget? What are, what are those top have-tos, those top line items, right? We've got our, our mortgages, we've got our, our bills, our cars, our fuel, all of these things in our life. Where does generosity fall on your list? And I know what you're sitting there saying, all the pastors talking about giving money to the church, and I am, but I'm also talking about being generous in your life. I'm also talking about helping those in need. I'm talking about, you know, giving some money to somebody who needs something and not saying, so what date am I, am I getting that money back? Is there like a .05 interest rate on this thing? Not that any of us have done that. But why is generosity so low on our list? And I got a couple of reasons. There's probably a million different reasons, and every single one of us in here has a different story, but I think there's three real big reasons why we don't, why generosity isn't at the top of our list. Number one, you haven't completely committed yourself to following Jesus. You haven't completely committed yourself to following Jesus. So Jesus comes in, and, and every turn, he says, follow me. And he says, follow me with all that you have. Like, literally. And we walk down aisles, and we go on retreats and camps, and we come to church, and we get plugged into groups, and we say, man, we love Jesus with all that we have. And then we look at our finances, and we go, do we? I mean, if you were to go home and pour through, and look at your finances. And I'm not just saying about your tithe, but I mean literally like your generosity, your, your giving. Are, are, is the money that he's given you a tool just as your time, just as your talent, and just as your testimony? You like that alliteration for you? Time, talent, treasure, and testimony. Those are the things that God has given you. Are you using them to elevate and push people to the kingdom of God? Or are you letting the treasure one kind of sit? Yeah, I'll give some time. I'll give my talent. I'll even get out there and share my testimony at times. But that treasure one, no, I need that. Because it gives me some control. It gives me some security. And Jesus, time and time again, says, come and follow me with all that you have. So maybe we need to give ourselves completely to Jesus. The second one, you don't think you can. You just, you, I mean, we get up, we come to a church, hear about generosity, and you're going, yeah, I, I hear you, Chris. I, I just can't right now. I've got these things in line, and when this falls, when this thing happens in life, then I can be generous. And I would just push back, and I would say, how many times you go to Chick-fil-A this week? How many times you go to Starbucks? Like, are, are the choices in your life lining up to the ultimate choice in your life. There was a time in Amy and I's life where 
we weren't tithing well, and we weren't managing our money well. We were poor, and we were struggling. We were going, how do we do this? And so what we decided to do was instead of at the end of the month seeing if there was 10 bucks left, we started allocating that money at the beginning of the month. We sat down during budgets and beers, and we said, hey, at the beginning of the month, the first fruits, we're going to give this 10 bucks. We're up to our eyeballs in debt. We're poor. The car broke. Whatever it is, no matter what happens, the first thing that's coming out is 10 bucks. Notice I didn't say 1,000, 1,500, even for us at the time, 100. It was just a small step. So I'm going to give 10 bucks because this is all we have. And we believe we don't want to be slave to the, to the lenders. And so we wanted to get out of some of these debts. And we wanted to be better. And you know what God did? He blessed in those moments. He began to show us, hey, you can have some self-discipline. You don't have to eat Taco Bell at 1 o'clock in the morning. Although we love it because it's good. I say I love it. She doesn't probably love it. A black bean burrito, maybe if I'm being real good, I can convince her. But anyway, that's beside the point. Many of us would say, I just don't have the margin right now. And I would just push back and say, don't you? Don't you? The third one. You don't believe in the vision of the church. And this could be the small C church, your local church. For those of you who call Piedmont home, Piedmont. Or this could be the big C church. You know, they're just all them pastors are the same. They just want my paycheck. I hear you. Sometimes we do. But here's the reality. We don't want it for us. We want it for the kingdom of God. And I hope that if you've been here for any length of time, you know that our mission and vision is to love God, love people, and invest in His kingdom. And we added that invest in His kingdom into our mission. Those, the, love God, love people is a direct quote from Jesus. And we added that, the invest in the kingdom, because in the world that we live in today, there's a lot of folks who go, oh yeah, I love God and I love people. I never go to church. I don't really have a, I have a fluid definition of what God is and who God is. And so we added this invest in his kingdom because we wanted to push people to understand that what Jesus is calling for you and for me is to give it all. Like everything that we have, we are investing into the growth, into the furtherment of his kingdom, not ours. It's not about necessarily Piedmont Church. It's not about Northway, Ingleside, Central City, New City, the other churches that preach the gospel in our community. It is about the ultimate kingdom of God. And when we see that the importance is winning people to Jesus and going out and living that way, investing our lives, you know what else we'll see? We'll see the growth of those churches. We'll see the growth of our individual lives. We will see the kingdom of God loving people and pointing back to him, and it will be a glorious day. So invest in your local church wherever you find home. Find a home and invest in it because there's a vision well bigger than you, and God says, I have adopted you into the family, so come be a part of it. Bring food to the table. Help serve. Push back. Let's do this. You look at our core values, every single one of them point us back to being a family at the dinner table. We give, we serve, we connect, we strive for excellence. We are doing it all together for the glory of God. So pour into your church. There's no excuses. We can do it. The church has an amazing mission. And if you're a completely committed follower to Jesus, you've already said you will. So don't let it be a Facebook status, a Snapchat. Dive in. In all three of these situations where we hold back, 
what we're doing when we hold back is we're saying we trust our situation more than we trust God. And all three. And if you go back to that example in Deuteronomy 15, God's saying, don't do it. Trust me. Don't trust the situation. I'm in control of all things. Going to the text that Eric read. This is an important thing right here. Just as Jesus is calling us out of comfort when it comes to sharing the gospel and serving those in need, he's calling us to get uncomfortable in our generosity. So Eric reads this text in Matthew chapter 26, and it shows us this picture of a woman coming in with a very important and expensive perfume. Jesus is sitting at the table. She walks up to Jesus. She pours this over his head. And what do the disciples, the guys closest to Jesus say? Are you crazy? Like, why are you doing? No, 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 no. We could take that same thing that costs so much money. We could sell it on eBay and on Craigslist and make a dope amount of money. Like, we could help some people. You're just pouring this thing out. You're just wasting it. And Jesus looks back at them. He draws them in to see the greater picture. And he says, no, no. Our generosity is always an act of worship and devotion pointing to the king. It's not just something that we just do because we have to, because it's written somewhere in a book that we read. He said, every time you're generous, you are pointing that I am Lord of your life. Every single time. And so when she pours this over his head, she is making a declaration to the people around her and to the world that he's not just some dude. He is king. Yes, he is our friend, as he says, but he is special. He is king of our lives. And then Jesus actually quotes when he responds back to the disciples from this passage in Deuteronomy 15. Maybe you're seeing the connection now. And he says, hey, look, there, there, there will be poor people. He literally says, for you will always have the poor with you. And this isn't a statement to be made that's like a negative thing, like, hey, there's always something broken. I feel like that's how I'm at my house, right? There's always something to do. This is not Jesus doing that. You know what he's saying? He's looking at the disciples who are second-guessing her, her, her worship, and he's saying, look, her worship points the broken to healing. Her worship points people from death to life. Our generosity will do the same thing. We pour from the one who pours. When we give generously to the church, we are pouring our hearts out to the king of the universe. When you walked in this morning, as the bank comes up and I close, you uh, sat down and there was some cards on your seat. There's... A lot of ways that we can give generously. You can give in the joy buckets. That's right. If you don't know what those are, these are down front. This is how we give back to the Lord. This is our offering. You can give online. And, and these are just methods in which, and I, I would encourage you online to, to, to set up a recurring gift. To sit down with your spouse or, or maybe by yourself and, and, and do the numbers at the beginning of the month and go, hey, what, what can we give? And then pray about the number and really ask the question of like, can I give more? Can, can I dive in deeper? Because when you walk into the room, 
and you're worshiping Jesus, you're not going, ah, this is all I got today. You're giving him your all, and you're wanting his all, right? And so when we sit down with our budgets, we do the same exact thing. We're saying, God, this is, this is what I have. Make much of this small thing and bring it joy. Bring, bring, bring people in with it. You can do that in your giving. You can be generous in your giving that way. You, I've had some friends over the years who have struggled with people in, in homeless situations and impoverished, and so that they've kept a, a stack of gift cards in their back pocket. And when they come up to a red light or somewhere down the street and someone's like, hey, can I get some more money? They've kept those stack of gift cards, and then they've had a conversation. They haven't just, you know, dropped the card out and be like, hey, here you go, next up, boom. For them, it was an opportunity to have a conversation. And not all of us are, are in that place or have that gifting to be able to say, I'm just going to talk to a stranger that I don't know. But some of you do. God's given you the spiritual gifting to be able to have solid conversations with people and pull them aside and go, I see you're hurting. How can I help? How can I pray for you? How can I be with you? How, how can I get you a meal? Is, is there a way that we can... I mean, in our city, we have a million resources to help people get back into the healthiness of life, to find somewhere to stay, to get a job, to, to get clean, to get their next meal. There's a million resources in our city. Are you looking to be generous with people who are struggling and say, hey, I'll help you get to this place? This card that I referred to. Maybe when you leave church today and you go out to lunch, this is another way to be generous. You, you leave a good tip to the waiter, the waitress, and you just drop this card. Talked about sowing gospel seeds several times over the last several weeks. And one of the ways we can sow gospel seeds and point people back to Jesus is you leave a good tip and you say, hey, I'd love for you to come to church. You know, just come on. The guy washing your car, the guy doing your landscaping, the, the realtor you work with. Hey, I got this card. I'd love for you to visit our church if you don't have a home church. If you're not plugged in somewhere, why don't you come to Piedmont? There's a great community of people there that want to see you grow and thrive in Christ. We must lose count of what our right hand is given. And hold open hands that gladly give and receive in response to God's blessings. He has called you and I to do that. To be the people of God through His current and often blessings to bless others. Will you take Him up in that charge? Will you pour out what He's already poured in from you? Let's pray. God, I thank You so much that You have poured in our hearts that you've taken us from death to life. God, I pray that as we talk about generosity and giving, that you'll soften our hearts to see the blessing that it is. That you, that you have freely given us yourself, that you move through us in your spirit. And God, you have called us to live generously, to give, and to, to sometimes give until it hurts because we're trusting you over our situation. Lord, help us realize and, and, and walk in the fact that every time we are generous, we are walking in worship of the King. We're pointing back to you, and you can have it all. It's in your Son's name I pray. Amen.